0: Thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Lewis. As we now hit the one year mark of Bluebells Forever Podcast, I'm taking a pause and really letting it sink in and just feeling so much gratitude for what this year has brought. I have done interviews with just amazing people each week to hear their story of what it was like for them in their career as a Bluebell dancer or a Bluebell singer or costume designer and all the wonderful things that make these shows so incredible from back to the 60s and all the way up to the current cast. Each story is amazing and each is different. I want to highlight Ellie Wickett of E! Barely There, Showgirl Underwear, who was my guest on episode 58. The title is A Beautiful Pivot. So if you've not listened to it, I'd love for you to go back and hear of her story of having a severe injury that took her out of the show at the Moulin Rouge, but out of that, her need for showgirl underwear that have not been created yet Led her into actually starting her own business and it is thriving, and I'm so proud of her. So, one of my favorite things about doing the podcast, besides hearing people's stories of what they did in the past, is what they're doing now and these amazing people that are creating in the middle of a pandemic. So, thank you, Ellie Wickett of E Barely There, for being my sponsor. And I just wish you the very best success. So, if you guys want to go check her out, it is www.e barely there show underwear.com backslash she is wonderful I want to support her and always possible so if you are right now looking for the best showgirl underwear if you are a current showgirl or if those days are long past and you just really want to reminisce I suggest you go check out her website e there com thank you and enjoy the show Hello and welcome to Bluebells forever a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. I cannot tell you how excited I am to interview <laughs> Debbie DeCudreau. And because I think I we did a little chat beforehand, and I just was talking about how I would watch you in the wings in the space queen number. And, and people talk about you in so many interviews I've already done of just your presence. And also the fact that your career was so long and you, we have so much overlap in these shows and like, because your name kept coming up, like, I'm going to reach out one more time, but back to the space queen. when I interviewed the, the dressers, they were talking about that costume. And I go, you were like the space disco ball on that stage that that stage is so huge. And the fact that you only had to move your arms and your presence was like, okay, this is the best performer ever. And she's not even kicking her face. She's not (laughs) doing anything, but just being there. And that's, what's something we've talked about too, like being a showgirl or these shows, it's not, it's the talent. Absolutely. But the performance is different than a lot of things you see where people are just dancing or singing. There was that extra. And if you can captivate someone on a stage that big, that says something. The fact that people are still talking about you says oh something. So you, you have to just sit there and listen to this because I'm going to read what is on your on your bio. Um, former Cleopatra at Teatro Zanzani, San Francisco, which we had a Teatro in uh, Seattle too. Yeah. Super impressive. Um, celebrity, for, uh, celebrity Cruises, singer headliner. Um, Seven Seas Cruises, Holland American, Norwegian Cruise Line, I did them, Um, Showboat. Okay, I have to skip some of these, the Moulin Rouge, um, Hello Hollywood, Hello, Hallelujah Hollywood, and you are now a, are you a professor? Uh A teacher. (laughs) Let's just say, we we can lie, we can say you're a professor. So thank you for coming on, and just like your credentials alone are pretty amazing.
1: Um, So hi, Debbie. Hi, thank you you so much for having me on. Now I'm giggling because there is a story behind that uh, Space Queen costume. Uh, The reason why I didn't jump up and down and do splits or anything is because it was made of cut glass or something, plexiglass was so heavy. I think that thing was 15 pounds because it sat it originally sat on the back of my head and I anchored it and it was tearing my hair out. It was so heavy, oh so we had to do readjustments. And the poor singers had to carry these panels that were six feet long. And yet I wasn't supposed to do that spot. In the, I was there in the very beginning when Don, uh, Don had all his choreographers and everything. And it was a tall nude, a French girl, Dominique. Dominique, I can't remember her last name, but she was supposed to, she got up on the stage, everybody's, you know, whatever. And then he says, no, Debbie, get up there. And I was like, okay. So I go up on stage and he says, do something. And I remember David Doyle, because I guess the male principals were standing around and he said, you better work it girl. And they put on this beautiful music and I did something. And that's how it was set. Really, that was your movement? Yeah. I remember, like,
0: nobody can see it, but there was like the one pose I just remember It yeah. was like the iconic pose, like this is a queen. And nobody, who, people who didn't see it, it was like almost like a bee butt. I'm thinking like that huge
1: thing on yeah. the back of your head it was just- Gorgeous. Giant, gorgeous, but, gorgeous. You know, they say we suffer for our art. I mean, think of how heavy the backpacks Yeah. Are, you know, and you learn how to walk and so the one thing i sat in the principal dressing room right next to sheila spar and she said something to me that i will never forget she said you can have all the talent in the world you could be as gorgeous as you want to be but if you are not like a truck driver if you don't have the stamina of a truck driver you will not last in this business and think about the hours we would put in you know principals had no day off we would be doing two shows seven days a week and you worked, hopefully when you were healthy. But when you were sick, sometimes, unless you were on your back, you came to work. That's what we I, did. That's what I we did, did
0: not realize that you guys didn't have a night off. Nope. Was there understudies for like when you were so? Oh yeah, bad or, or just people switch around.
1: They switched around now. Sheila Spar and Kitty cover had special contracts because remember how many problems we had with that stage, the mechanical problems, and their job was to go in front of the curtain entertain the crowd while they were madly fixing the revolves or whatever wasn't working so that was their main gig i remember sheila going over her patter and all these songs and i learned their parts because my job was to make sure to keep everything running smooth so i had and my singing parts were all tall nude it was the drum majorette the belly dancer in the finale. What else did I do? Oh, and the Space Queen.
0: So did you grow up as a singer and dancer? Like, let's go back to like how you grew up with like what your heart was. In the
1: very beginning.
0: I was (laughs) was born,
1: (laughs) I was a wannabe dancer. And I say wannabe just because I have such a healthy respect of the talent of the dancers that I did see. I could move very well. And being six feet in Vegas and moving very well would get you in the in the chorus. Mm. But I kept hearing the singers and I was going, God, I wanna do, I can do that. And when I was in Vegas, they were getting ready to do the new show in Reno. They had auditions and I announced to everybody who within a hundred mile radius that I was going to audition as a singer. And I was warned. They said, Don will never take you as from a dancer to a singer, never, 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 never. Oh, and I uh, prove them wrong. <laughs> Good for you. What were you doing in Vegas? Were you? I was a dancer. I was a dancer. What show were you doing? Uh It wasn't Hello Hollywood. Hallelujah Hollywood.
0: So you were already in Hallelujah Hollywood. Yeah, I was there. How for did nine months? Did you? How did you even get there? Like, what was like when you're six foot oh, as I a have, dancer? Like, what was your? Nope. thing that go I'm going to Vegas because I was told nope. to go to Vegas because you're tall
1: <laughs> I had a friend I was back working at Wells Fargo being bored out of my brains she calls me up she says they're having auditions they're looking for tall dancers you've got to go and I was going yeah yeah and I missed the first whatever she called back and gave me a very big lecture and so I went to Vegas and I auditioned for Fluff Laco I will never forget her and if mm-hmm. she saw something, she saw something, I was hired and I thought I had hit the jackpot. I was going, you're gonna pay me this much money a week to just dance, oh my God. So I did that and she had to give me some lectures. Evidently, it didn't sound like I was too pizzazzy. She said, you could be just like Trish Lee, Trisha Lee.
0: I've heard was, about her.
1: Oh, Trisha Lee was the ultimate diva uh, tall. She was like 6'1", blonde, gorgeous, uh, classically trained. Oh, my God. But, you know, so um, Fleff says you could be you could be just like um, Trishley. And I was going, okay. So I started putting a little oomph oomph in whatever I was doing. And then they started having these auditions. And I auditioned as a singer. And to say my audition was unique is an understatement. please tell (laughs) now you know how they would do and this is very unique to dancers who are used to working in shows where you're tall nude you do your dancing and then they go drop it so you lower your leotard and they examine the memory Mm glands. and i had never seen this before i'm in the back with the singers everybody who was auditioning and we are just horrified oh my god those poor girls look at this how demeaning right so I go up to do my audition. Hello, Debbie. Hello, Mr. Harden. I sang my first song and he was going, Yes, that's nice. And I sang my second song and he's going, Oh, that's very good. Then he says, Sing something classical and strip. Oh, my. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. okay. And I think I sang You Are Love from Showboat, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. And I had on a peasant blouse. So, you know. I'm madly thinking, what am I going to do? Because the stage hands were hanging over the, the rails to see <sighs> what, because I'm a singer. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so at the very end of the song, there's this high note. I knew I was nervous. So I just pulled my arm out and waved it around and everybody's going, isn't that clever? She's so clever. And then he says, take it off. <sighs> I didn't even think. I turned up stage, pulled my blouse down, turned around and started doing, bodybuilding move, you know, muscle man movements. He says, you're funny, you're hired. And really? I, yeah. Yeah. I
0: have never heard anybody have that happen in audition. Like I went backstage and Miss Bluebell did it kind of discreetly.
1: On I, stage. <laughs> lined, Darcy, have you, Darcy, what's Darcy's English girl short? Um, She's in Vegas. I think she does real estate or something now, but talk to her about it. I mean, I didn't you didn't know. Everybody was like, what? And so, did did he make any other singers do that? Oh my, cause this is
0: like a movie scene. Like, is that sexual harassment in every other place in the workplace? But it's like, well, this is, we're going to be naked on stage, but did something take over you to just go for it?
1: Yep. Well, I, I think sometimes I must've been a little crazy. I was very adventurous You know what I mean? Somebody said, you can't do this. And then I would try it. Right. I still do that now. Only it's, it's not illegal or it's just taking a chance on, well, I think I could learn how to do blah, blah, blah. So I think I went into the mindset of, okay, but I did it my way. Right. And so that sort of explains how I ended up being a principal singer whose spots were all tall nude. In the very beginning, Mm -hmm. I didn't sing but then that changed as i was integrated into the show and so i ended up i think i got kitty cover's spots because they had to make me cough uh, my own costumes i'm so tall that there was no way i was going to fit in anybody else's costumes but i told you i was swinging tall nudes for the fun of it i had nothing else to do so i said well if you need an extra swing i'll help out and it was fun you know i loved wearing all the costumes and this kind of mentality did help me when I went to the moolah because you had to be prepared for anything yeah everything.
0: okay that's one of my favorite audition stories and I've uh, Liz Larkin I've interviewed her and then oh, I think nice. it was somebody else was talking about, like their naivete that Don found charming and he kind of like gave them more like paid more attention to because of that like boldness or like there's something unique the fact that he thought you were funny and hired you because He sees so much talent. Like when you realize how lucky we are to be in these shows of how many people audition, it's kind of incredible. Like, I don't think I realized at the time what a great job that was, but, but he sees so much talent. Like, why does he pick some people and not others? But there are, there is something like if you, again, if you're going to captivate people on that giant stage, you have to have something different. You can't just be pretty. You can't just be talented. There has to be something
1: that translates to the back of the house. So right there, I'm like, I'd hire you for anything. I think he... (laughs) remember what I said, it's more than just talent. And there's got to be something, an inner fire in you. And I, the only thing I can think of is he must have seen that and I got along well with him. But I also didn't push it. You know, I knew when to just okay, bye bye. I'm out of here. I didn't try to socialize. I didn't, you know, try to go out for drinks. And I tried to do my job as he wanted people who would give something. He didn't want people who would just sit there and go, okay, what do you want me to do? He liked people who thought outside the box or went that little extra distance. But I did learn, he had rules. What I did the splits once during the, 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 where the, what was it? The San Francisco scene and we're the hookers or whatever we oh, were. yeah. yeah. Oh. And I did a split and he had a fit. He says, my, uh." Principles never. Well, he said something to the effect of "crotch on the floor," but it was oh. a little more graphic. <laughs> and he, he, in his head, you had a, you did a certain uh, role. You played a certain role. It could be raunchy, but it was still classy. He had a thing about class, so it was it was pretty interesting learning how to do all these strange things, but also still have an air of class.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. And you said you had the relationship that they kind of would send you out. To oh, oh, God. Feel. Can you turn that
1: part? Yeah. So every morning we'd all come and we're all stretching and, and people would say, oh, Debbie, go check on see how Don's doing this morning. So I'd go get a cup of coffee. I'd go up. Good morning, Mr. Arden. How are you feeling? You could tell when he had a hangover and I'd give him the coffee. And if he wasn't doing so, hot, he'd go? Well, you know, I'm not feeling so good today. And I'd go, oh my God, is there anything I can get for you? And then I would skedaddle, go back and say, okay, be on point. Now he usually wasn't in a rage first thing in the morning, but by yeah. afternoon, I mean, some, sometimes it was just awful. People would come in to audition and the things he would say and oh my god and i mean in this day and age i do not think that would fly at Mm -mm. all at all
0: just yeah i've heard like the afternoon is that it's like you have a two different dawns and like the the fear and trembling like please don't let it be me please don't let it be me
1: lunch cocktails will do that to you yeah Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, that's somebody so brilliant that you want to work for, but like, okay, be ready to be insulted, to be called out. Can you tell about our dear, sweet Tim Mackey who just passed this year? Like he shows up in so many stories of somebody who just stands out for so many reasons, but he also pushed some buttons and you got to... Uh,
1: Well, his personality was, he was vibrant. He was energetic. He was out there. He was just manic. Heart of gold. There was... At least I don't think there was a mean bone in his body, but he was fired five times in one day or one <laughs> night. I don't know what he and Don were doing. They must've been out drinking or something. And he was fired <laughs> and he, everybody knew it wasn't like he hit it. And so, you know, maybe he did call in sick on the days that Don, cause we knew in advance when Don was coming.
0: Okay. He didn't just surprise you.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. That did. Cause that would have been, that would have been ridiculous because there was just, for example, Sheila always told me as soon as the show is over, you get out of there. Don't take off your, make it leave. Yes. Get out of there. So you wouldn't have to talk to him because he would watch the show. He would drink during the show. And then, you know, depending on, how he was feeling and i remember i was scared to death to tell him i was leaving the show now who was it in vegas joel joel somebody one of his performers he played the clown that's all i remember was he played the clown and he announced that he was leaving the show and Don lost it i mean screaming and hollering And so I kept that in the back of my head. And so when it came time to, because we were all lined up, because you had to re-audition every six months. I don't care if you were a principal or not, because they were very conscientious about weight, about performance on stage, how are you acting backstage. So every six months, you would get out there in your leotards and try to look as grand as possible. And I told Sheila, I said, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. She said, well, just, you have to tell them. And so I said, Mr. Arden, I am leaving the show. He, thank God. He goes, well, God bless you. I heard you're going to the Moulin Rouge. I had planned to take you to the Lido, but you didn't wait for me. And I was like, really? Nobody said anything to me, you know? Oh, he, my gosh. And he, I have a, a letter framed that he wrote saying, congratulations, you're a class act. I love you in the show, yada, yada. And I had framed it because to me that was like, oh, my God.
0: Like, wow. Because
1: if everybody framed all the awful things that were said, it's like, how do you undo it? Nobody should have to. I'm sorry. Nobody. Ha- it, there's such grace. Thank you very much. Taking the time to audition. Maybe next time or something. Yeah. I, you don't have to just demean people. And I, you know, what happened to him for him to feel that, yeah. that he had to do that. And yes, we did. We put up with it. We put up with mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah, there's things now. Like, mm, thank you, HR. So you said you had some um, female mentors too. Like we, because oh. did you come in needing like? Because I was sharing in one of my interviews too. Like watching people with stage presence because I trained in dancing, but I never had seen anyone perform. So you'd see like, why do these people stand out? So you kind of watch. But did you have people kind of take oh, you under God. their wings?
1: I was very lucky. Uh, uh, Jillian Rashoi, who was a performer, remember she and mixed yeah. the Adage Act. And they, and this was like, I had died and gone to heaven. So all these uh, people from overseas, I had this thing about going abroad since I was three, don't ask. So she would lovey, she would give me all these lectures about what to do, being reliable, uh, working on your art, how to how to take things like something would happen. I was, <laughs> she says that you have to rise above it. Don't take it personal try to make it work for you, for you. Cause you know, sometimes things will happen and you're going, but why did she get it? And I didn't, and you take it all personal. You had to just move through it. So for mm-hmm. an, she was one of my mentors. Sheila Spar definitely was a mentor. She taught me everything, how to cook, how to um, organize my receipts. I, I mean, you name it. And she was so patient. And she was of that generation from the Stardust, Mm-hmm. Les Stevens came up from the Stardust. she was there. Kitty Cover was, you know, I call them the Vegas experienced divas. Okay. Then the 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 people who were in the show themselves. I was so square. I didn't know anything about anything. So listening to the the British girls talking and the French girls talking like uh, Irene, who was Scottish, she wasn't French. But I mean, I would just sit there and just listen, going, oh my God, there's a whole new world out there. And so the idea of even going abroad sort of was born listening to them talking about their experiences on tour or working in Paris or being in Madrid. I mean, there were so many options for a dancer at that time. And so, I just learned, but I would, and then Donna Howell, my dresser, who was earth mother. She was my, I swear, when I would come back to visit the United States, I would go visit her first before I went to visit my parents. Really? Mine was that strong, yeah. I interviewed
0: her and Loretta as uh, we talked about dressers right? And, and just wonderful. And they were talking about just that family thing. And I want to talk about that too, of how Reno had this unique thing of community That's and family and people were starting families. People were going to school, yep. which I know other shows have that, but Reno almost felt like this more settled, but I'm going to go visit them when I do my road trip, which is coming up in June. I'm going to revisit because I just want to hang out with them after interviewing them and hear like how the dressers also were kind of an anchor. Like they were, oh. We kind of have our showbiz people that would come in with all of our eccentricities, but also having these really wonderful dressers and people that were grounded in community felt like it kind of helped us to like set some roots and be more settled.
1: (laughs) Do you remember what Reno was like back in those days? It was a (laughs) town. I remember turning on the radio going, oh, country western." (laughs) Okay, and there was nothing else to do. I learned how to two-step. I would go out with the boy dancers to the, I guess it was the gay bars, I'm assuming, because there was lots of guys who were really cute, and learned (laughs) how to two-step. You know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And so we uh, leaned on each other because outside there was just not a whole lot. And so, we were like a little town in the middle of a city. Everything, I mean, Uh. I was like going, where else would I be except at work? 160 persons on stage, not counting the stagehands or the dressers. It was a small village. Yeah. And there was always somebody there who could, you could talk to, or there was some drama you could have support for. We had parties, oh my God, Christmas was ridiculous. There would be like 30 Christmas parties and you just go around and go to all the Christmas parties. I remember Cher was in the big room. She had a roller skating birthday party for us. Or oh, okay. Shirley McLean came there because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> so when performance came in, we were there for them. And, I mean, We entertained ourselves. We grew together. And that's how I learned, because all the uh, dancers from South Africa and England and France and God only knows where else, you know, they were willing to share what they knew and tell their stories. And I I took it all in. I took it all in. And I always say those were the happiest years of my life. Now, I will be honest, it wasn't always perfect. You know you'd get real tired of doing the same thing or if there was some kind of a conflict you know you had to uh find some kind of a solution there or else your life would be miserable but it was familial meaning babies oh yeah cool pets no problemo you know that was we were there and we made the most of it and i think it was very healthy In that sense, when I was on Broadway, I, people got sick of me going on and on about, well, when I was in Reno and we were in the show, there was community because (laughs) on Broadway, you come in, you do your job, you leave. That's it. Wow. You know, the only time I could say it was similar was when I was on tour, the first national tours, there was nothing else to do. You go to, you know, someplace in Pittsburgh and you just hung out. Because you didn't know anybody in the town. Right. But here, So how did
0: you how did you get, I mean, to leave Reno? Like, did you feel like I need to do more? What else is there? Like, what got you to Paris uh, and what was the audition
1: Daryl, process? Do, does Darylyn Rowe or Leslie Larsh ring, ring a bell?
0: Yes. I actually, Leslie's
1: episode's coming up pretty soon. Oh, great. Well, they went to Paris. And I was in contact with them. And I think Leslie wrote a, a letter saying, you know, they're looking for a vedette you could do this. And I'm like, sure. And (laughs) the backstory to that is I talked to my tax person because I was going to make a big deal. I was going to London and I was going to Paris and I was going to Monte Carlo and I wanted to find a way to deduct it off my taxes. And he said, well, if you do auditions all over the place, that's a business expense. So I set up auditions in London and in Paris with Miss Doris. And then I went to Monte Carlo and auditioned for her again. And I even went to Austria. Don't even ask who I yeah. auditioned. I just had all these auditions set up and that's how I, I ended up taking the trip. <laughs> I, did, I had no idea I would actually get hired. You know, Were you just
0: on a break? Because you already ended your contract at Hello Hollywood,
1: Hello? Oh, or was this just a oh, little vacation? This was the vacation. Oh, wow. And I came back and told Jillian, she was going, Oh, Lovey, that's fabulous. And But you have to tell Dawn. And I was like, okay. But it was okay. It worked out. But that's what got me away. Because I could have stayed in that show forever. I was happy. I had friends. I had a life. I was making good money but I wanted more, you know, that Yeah,
0: yeah. oh yeah. Well, I think even doing those shows, like you said, you're listening to people from all over the world and you're, the world starts to get bigger and more interesting and less scary and like, oh my gosh. So it's hard to stay one place when you are hearing and, and hearing people's experiences it's like, I can do that.
1: And the thing is, be, I was in uh, Paris for nine years. That is a big difference than being a tourist. I yeah. really got to know Paris. I was able to visit, uh, you know, France in its entirety. I went to, I did TV in London. I did television in Italy. I did shows in Madrid. Uh, even though I was still working at the Moulin, I was sort of publicizing, you know, the Vedette, the Moulin Rouge and all that. But here's the one thing I, you know, it sounds very glamorous and don't get me wrong. I had experiences I there's no way I would have experienced that just being a, you know, here in the Bay area, there's no way, but the toll, you have to physically and mentally really have it together. I became so skinny because I didn't have days off at the Moulin my first two years, not one day off, not one day off at the end, I would get five weeks holiday. But by that time I was so tired. And I was so skinny. I look at these pictures. There's a picture of me with Princess Diane, and they used to talk about how bulimic she was. You look at me, I'm right across from where I look like a living skeleton. I was so skinny. And I keep I remember going, Oh yeah, the times when I was so tired I would cry. My dresser tried to get me to eat, and I was too tired to eat.
0: Oh so, my gosh. Wow. So
1: there is, there is a there's two sides to the coin. And yet, I said, you really can't complain because I was not doing uh, the (laughs) can-can.
0: twice a night.
1: Okay. And just, I don't know how they did it. Jumping up and down and running around and two shows a night. So, you know, I had to try and psych myself into this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. But I remember I was in uh, Rome in the back of a limousine, all woo-woo, thinking this is supposed to be fun because I was so tired and I was alone. I was all by myself. Mm. Uh, by my... Well, you get the idea. <laughs> so, you know, uh, my students, I'm a teacher, and I've got, what do you want to be? I want to be a star. And you go, what, is that ex- what does that mean exactly? Oh, you know, wear fabulous clothes and go to parties, and I'm going, oh, no, baby. No, 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 no. What do you have to do to get to that point and it takes discipline it takes blood sweat and tears and people need to understand that i mean it's one thing if you know this and you work your butt off to to reach your goal but it's not all foo foo la la and flowers and champagne and all this other stuff and i think that's another thing i learned from like jillian and sheila was you have to be disciplined You have to be able to work through the bad because the audience doesn't care. They don't care if you don't feel good. They don't care if you broke up with your boyfriend. They don't care if you sprained your wrist and there's no understudy to take your place on stage. We have to get out there and perform. So, you know, I have no regrets. I would do it again. But I wonder would I have taken that path if I knew in advance Mm. getting myself into because I look back and go, oh, my God. What were you
0: thinking? Wow. So did you go in as a principal singer? Where? Into into the moulin?
1: I was the the star of the show, but you were the
0: star of the show. Okay. so
1: Marissa Burgess, was she Marissa? Marissa, it came in. She was the baby. I think she was, what, 16? Yeah. She was in the line. But Miss Girl had Foo Foo. And Diane McDonald was the, the principal dancer. And I remember Marissa watching her like a hawk. Mm -hmm. She learned a lot. Well, we all watched Diane McDonald. I remember when she was in Ronnie Lewis's show somewhere. And we would just sit there and go, oh, my God. Who is this diva? Uh, I mean, you know, she also had the fa-fa-fa. And so um, Marissa worked her way up. And then she ended up being the principal soloist or dancer, principal soloist. There you go.
0: So as a singer,
1: is that different? Because if you're the star, the, like you're the marquee, is, you are the face. of The Vidette usually sings and then okay. you know, walks around and, you know, tries to look glamorous. Now, I know for a fact that the designer loved the fact that I was six feet three in my heels. And I'm telling you, for Formidab, they outdid themselves with these costumes and I can't believe, well, I couldn't take them. They weren't mine. And I wouldn't fit in them now, even if I wanted to. But these costumes, I'll try to find photos. Amazing. And I feel kind of bad because, you know, everything was hand beaded and the feathers were hand sewn. And when they realized with my heels on, they had to add six more inches on the bottom of the costumes. (laughs) <laughs> so tall, because that's not a tall person show.
0: The same as the Lido, right? Isn't the height requirement not so? You no, must have that, really stood out. I did. Well,
1: they—I I was lucky. I had some strong male dancers throwing me around like I didn't weigh anything. It was quite impressive, to say the least. But the bluebell, the well, the the bluebell showgirls are six plus, or maybe five ten and plus. But they are statuesque. And that's an understatement. Whereas, because the dancers had to do the can can, they were shorter. The only tall person I know that did the can can at the Moulin was Irma Van Us? Lent. No, Irma Van oh, okay, never did the can can. Okay, was, I was like, <laughs> she was always the glamorous diva. But okay. Irma Van Lemt, who is 6'1, did the can can. She was at the Moulin for that long, and then she ended up at the Lido as a soloist.
0: There's a lot of crossover like I talked to Billy Goodson and how like if there's a new show people want to go do the new show and like the the need to have the shows keep getting better because you don't want to be oh this show is stronger dancing or this one.
1: You know um, where I met Billy I was doing TV in Rome and I remember we were missing we needed two principal da- no three principal male dancers she wanted a choreographer. I'm sitting doing this TV show and this guy is just bam, bam, boom, boom, And I was like, whoa, who is that? And I went back and I said, I think I found your choreographer. And she reached out to him. It was a match made in heaven. She changed the whole, he changed the whole feel of the Mulan. It became very sexy, but not in your face. You know, it was very stylized and he had the girls really showcase their costumes. There's nothing worse than having a great costume and you're doing gyrations or whatever. That's why if you're going to do like Ronnie Lewis choreography, you need to be as naked as possible so you can show (laughs) all the dance steps. But when you're carrying all these plumed backpacks and you're, he just made everybody look so feminine and glamorous. Oh, it was wonderful.
0: His interview was wonderful too, but he taught, he gave credit to you for, for oh. finding him for that because his story, like coming in, like he had to start re- rehearsals with no prep, like here's your music go. And they're all these dancers looking at him. So I love his story where he came from like street dancer and doing like his, his whole thing is such an eclectic thing, which makes that show seem even more wonderful. Like, yeah, this is not the typical. And for a dancer, how fun, because you're going to get to mix up between each number. Like, oh, I get to be more glamorous or I get to be more right. sexy on this one. I love, love that story, like how he is there and did two full shows
1: because of you finding him. So everybody says, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> uh, but you know what I loved about Billy? He never choreographed anything that he himself could not do. He would bring out a pair of heels Cause somebody would go, Oh, I can't do a double pirouette. And he goes, really put on his pumps. And he would like, <laughs> I oh. he, love that. no, but have you ever been in a position? And I had this happen to me where the choreographer gives you some piece of choreography and you're going, I can't do that. And they go, make it work. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever had that happen?
0: Yeah. And, and you're, you're
1: wearing so- a seven foot thing on your head <laughs> and you're, you know, it has nothing to do. It's like, what am I supposed to make it work? Now, if I were the costumes designer, I'd be upset because it's not showing your creation off to its best, yeah. you know? And Billy showed these costumes off. It, 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 was, it was a wonderful um, working partnership. And he got along with Ruggiero. You would think they were two old Italian men, maybe and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> no, it was great. It was very. It was a wonderful addition to the Moulin.
0: So, what did you decide? You were done with that, or it's time to go explore something else? Because I know, like, reading through your credits, and I know you ended up in New York, and well, so what I was a thing
1: happenstance? They had the hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the Moulin Rouge, and they brought in all of these star. I mean, it was like Tony Curtis, uh, Merle Hemingway. Uh, Esther Williams, uh, tap dancing guy, not uh, Gene Kelly, the other one. Uh, Donald O'Connor? Yes, they brought him in. They brought in Anita Baker. They brought in Ella Gerald. Oh they, my gosh. They, it was like, really? And I had a number. I did Le Jazz Hot, choreographed by Mr. Billy Goodson. And they also had their agents and their managers and people kept saying to me, why are you still here? And I was like, okay. That was all I needed to have that push. And I had met um, an agent in New York because Kelly, what was Kelly's last name, Blonde? Oh, Kelly Woodruff. Ring a bell? Yep. He was in New York. This was his agent. He had stayed at my apartment in Neuilly and, you know we're talking and he says yeah you should call my agent steve when you're in new york and i'm like okay so i got this i got the courage because everybody's saying you should leave you should go off and do something even more i go to new york and it just so happens that tommy toon was auditioning for the first national tour of grand hotel now i didn't know he has He had, because she passed away, a relationship with uh, Lillian Montevecchi. He loves his French showgirls. I don't know what else to call it. And so when I was up there doing my thing and being Raphael and trying to be Italian and whatever, uh, the stage, the set was on the stage because it was on Broadway. And so he, he says, uh, I want you to lean against the pillar and I want you to slow the song down. I want you to put a spotlight on her. And so I'm like, okay, cause I thought this is how auditions were held in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so I did my thing, I sang. And then for four months I heard nothing every day. What, have you heard anything? My agents said no, but I got it. I yes. got it. So happenstance, Kelly stayed at my apartment in New Year, talked about his agent. The agents in came, watched the show, saying you need to go off and do more stuff. I had the courage. I go to New York. I get a job. Oh my gosh!
0: Yeah, yeah. You, know, you said like, when we before we start recording, you're saying you never have to do the starving artist thing and have, have to work in yeah restaurants, and you can't afford to eat or live or take class so that's amazing right there how long did you do the
1: tour or did you stay in New I did York? the first oh I did the first national tour I made my Broadway debut because I came back and replaced Karen Akers on Broadway Karen Acres created the role she was also in nine I don't know if you know that it, musical yeah but- yeah Lillian was in nine. Karen Acres was in nine. So I replaced Karen Akers as Raphaella in Grand Hotel. Then we did our. Uh, we went to England and did our debut there. So I had another credit. Yay! Came back, and then Showboat was happening. They had opened in Canada. They were bringing it to Broadway. I auditioned for Susan Stroman and. Oh, wow. And I was hired as the understudy because uh, what was her name? Uh, Was the star, big star. Oh, my God. It'll come to me later. But I was I was the second understudy, actually, because somebody was already the understudy from um, Canada. But she was tiny. She was like five foot three. And the uh, the, uh, woman who played the role was five foot ten. And you put us on stage, you could not tell the difference, which I think had a lot to do with it. Because uh-huh. she allowed me to buy my condominium in New York. I was—I could guarantee I would go on for Julie four shows out of eight. Four shows wow. out of eight. And I thank her to this day because I was able to buy my condominium because I went on so much. And it was oh. funny because Elaine Stritch played Parthi and she would give me notes and some people didn't like it I was like yeah baby tell me everything you know I mean come on Elaine Stritch right so smart woman (laughs) yeah and I was able to work with Rebecca Luker she was Magnolia we just lost her you know Mm -hmm. so um then I did the first national tour of showboat I played Julie the role And so that was exciting. And then I created my own one woman show and I did cruise ships. But while that was happening, 9-11 happened.
0: While you were on the cruise ship or while you were still in in New York?
1: I was in New York and it it changed. I I couldn't, I just could not stay in New York. I couldn't, and my father became ill as well. So it was like a one, two, double whammy, it it changed. That changed.
0: You told me you were like right there. It wasn't like I was New in York the, spread out. I was in the you. American
1: Express Finance Building, when the second plane hit, and it was just it was horrible.
0: Yeah,
1: and it 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 changed a lot of people. You just can't yeah. look at life the same way. And so, I came back to the Bay Area, and you know, very dramatic. I will never perform again. And then I discovered Teatro Zanzani.
0: Hmm. Can you explain? I know what it is because I have it here. I love it. Can you explain what Teatro Zanzani is?
1: It is an immersion experience inside a Spiegel tent, five course meal between each meal, an act. It could be, you know, an acrobatic act or it could be a juggler or tap dancer or whatever. The master of ceremony, depending on who you have, is either the crazy Caesar or what is this woman's name she's amazing she has so many characters but they're like actor and they interact with the the people in the tent so they might have an idea of what they want to do for the night but it's unscripted so every night is different because we would get people who would do crazy things like i played cleopatra and some guy grabbed me and put me on his lap and you learn how to get yourself out of that situation without punching somebody in the face, you know, oh they're drunk. well, they're drunk, but yeah. I tell you talk about training. Where'd you go? Are you there? Oh, there you are. I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, talk about learning how to think on your feet, how to do improv, how to Work an audience so they do what you want them to do, not what they want to do. And it's in a, it was a gorgeous antique Spiegel tent. I think it was like 140 years old. So it looks like a tent. And everybody's involved. The waiters had come out and they do their little choreographed number and they're dressed in these little cute outfits and there's velvet and plumes. And it was the perfect thing for me to get into um, with my background from the Moulin you know, it helps. And I mean,
0: it, I, I went to the one in Seattle and my, I feel like my mouth was open the whole time because there's it. things above from, you around. You did the Seattle one? I did it for Florida. Oh my gosh. absolutely! <gasps> it was like a special occasion to go to that. It's like you save your money, you go. And it's just like, so especially for Seattle, We're, like people here aren't used to seeing the Vegas productions. Right. It was such, it was a spectacular event in a different way. Like Absolutely. just your suit, your soup was like a production number. And I just remember thinking, I really, really appreciate these entertainers that make this work in such a unique fashion. That's like kind of the theater and the round and the the interaction. So did that, so the whole thing, like you said, it helps you with improv and thinking on your feet. And some free. did you have some freedom too? I mean, you have your songs because Well, I had how- the
1: songs, but I ha- I would interact with well, of uh, Caesar. I was Cleopatra to his Caesar. And then you you know, you know the, the arc of the, the, uh, the story. Uh, Caesar is not my Caesar. I think he, the Caesar that I fell in love with 2,000 years ago is the Caesar, but this is a modern Caesar. So the whole thing is me chasing this modern Caesar, trying to convince him that I am a Cleopatra, and he's going, no, no. <laughs> Cleo, Cleo, Cleo. It is not, I mean, he had, oh, this guy is amazing. He also <laughs> does, um, uh, Groucho Mark, a one-man. Oh, yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So it was, and Lillian Montevecchi also would do it, you know, because they revol- they revolve the, uh, the, the, the leads, Miss Teatro Zanzani or Miss, uh, Cleo. They would bring in different kinds of artists to play that role and they would bring whatever their sensibility is. And she loved it. She said it was the last true, pure artist, artistic endeavor. And then, you know, it made me think there is art everywhere. Mm. You can, you know, which I think because of COVID people are starting to realize you can be artistic anywhere. You can take your art and make it work, you know. Whatever that is—street painting, or dancing, or drama—you you have to think outside of the box. Art is not going to be um, subdued. Art is mm. not going to be subdued. It has to come out. I mean, that's what makes us <sighs> realize, Oh my God! I just said something so heavy.
0: <laughs> we need to have T-shirts or quotes or something because that I've heard people say it differently like the arts have survived war and famine but the way you it's not going to be subdued it will come out you can't squish it like that the thing I've seen people get really good at online things because nobody wanted to do it and now I'm like oh my gosh I've seen artists get better because they've had to learn how to use a camera how to make their house into like a mini cabaret so whatever theater comes back whatever that is I think the tools that people are learning are going to help expand it and I have I have a, a a musician that joins us. We have an isolation cabaret every month to help us with our studio to stay alive. He's in Chile and he comes to us live. I go, how could I ever do that in any other situation that the artists can come and show up in their house on online and we can entertain and still feel like a communities instead of feeling separated, like waiting for theater to come back or waiting for the arts. Like they're still anyway, I'm just thinking like they're not subdued. That was a beautiful way to say that.
1: Well, the arts are constantly evolving. And that is good. That is mm-hmm. good for humanity. Lord knows we need all the humanity we can get. And yeah. I think it's going to evolve even more because there are no limits. We have learned there are no limits. You don't have to be in a theater to do whatever or you don't have to write a certain way. And we need to, to really open up. Up and expand oh. and embrace and explore and experiment. But you don't have to quote me.
0: Uh, well, we'll watch it happen. I actually re-interviewed Billy Goodson. He had said something about just the state of our world with the lack of empathy and compassion. He goes, the arts? I think he goes, I think we are going to lead us into what's next. And it's going to be artists. And I go, yeah. Which has always been the case, you know, but if it's whatever it gets to try to get squished out, we'll somehow emerge into something maybe stronger because of that strife. Like, please don't give us more strife. Artists already have enough. But we know, we know how to make things happen. Wouldn't you say
1: artistic people are a very special, I don't want to say breed, a special uh, kind of person, a spiritual, a spirituality. Um, I, I'm getting a little heavy here. But every mm. time I meet artistic people, there's something very special the, about them. They see the world totally different in a very rich way. I'm trying hard to explain this, but I think you understand it's mm-hmm. we, you're right. You have to have empathy. You have to be open. How can you be artistic and be closed?
0: Right. Um,
1: and for the most part, I think very flexible, very flexible. And so you're right, and Billy's right. I think the arts are going to save humanity. Hmm. The Arts are going to say, our artists are going to save the human race. And <laughs> I'm not joking when I say that, it's, Mm-mm. ooh. So, you know, from strife comes the phoenix, rebirth. Yeah. That kind of thing.
0: And it's like, we are on this verge of something. It feels like things are either going to totally go to hell or we're going to emerge as something beautiful but there's a big fight as an artist to keep creating even if you're not showing it creating don't 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 harden your heart because we need we need your heart to create something that's actually going to be impactful so I'm curious like how you're your your teacher now and I and what was your road there did you just finally say I'm done performing
1: (laughs) or dance um I teach at the school that I graduated from I went to this school it's an all-girls school and the the sisters sisters of the holy names of Jesus and Mary were so supportive because I was a strange kid okay (laughs) um and they were so patient they they were very supportive and it just so happened that they lost their choir directress I believe she got married and had a baby or something and some the woman in charge of, who was she in charge of? Development said, you know, you could do that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could direct a choir. I'm a singer. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I remember I had taught, I had class for two days and I thought I was going to die. I was ready to quit because, you know I didn't have a teaching degree in, I didn't have a teaching degree. I have a a master's in um, fine arts. Uh, My BA is in poli-sci. I thought I was gonna be a lawyer. Wow. My own head. And so I had to learn. I made it a point to to read up and take courses and do whatever. And the good news is you still know more than the kids, no matter (laughs) what. And what I did have was performing experience and, how to put together a program i have a good ear for music i could tell who could sing what i ended up directing the musicals uh teaching a technical theater class i can't believe some of the stuff i ended up teaching well it's shifted i still have a, a beginning choir i have the advanced acapella girls but now i also teach film and video i teach introduction to television broadcasting and oh my gosh. most importantly, I teach publication, which is the yearbook.
0: <laughs> Yay.
1: Do they know your, they, do they know your life and your career, what you've done? Yeah. But, and that was, do they care? <laughs> well, the, when they do find out the kids are like, oh my God, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. It gives me some street creeds, but they're, they're a different breed. Uh, they are, they admire different kinds of things. I mean, dance has changed. I don't know who does the stuff, but you better be gymnastic. And this is even with classical dance. Have you seen ballet now? You better be an acrobat and wrap your leg around your neck six times. I mean, it's it's completely changed. They're athletes. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I just I just sit here and go, thank God I did what I did then, right? <laughs> because I would never make it in the business now. I'm not a high belter you know, Celine Dion or any of these children, "Ah!" I can't do that. (laughs) You know, it's not my thing. So it's changed. I try very hard to respect their dreams, Mm. you know. It's not for me to say, you know, I really don't think you're gonna be an opera singer if you can't hold a tune.
0: What (laughs) I do
1: is try to teach them how to hold a tune. Yeah. You know.
0: Are these students that are, doing this just recreational or are a lot of these people serious?
1: No, this is not a conservatory. The San Francisco conservatory takes care of all the serious students, but we, this, the sisters believe a well-rounded student has everything intellectual, creative, spiritual to make the whole, which I agree Mm, with. Yes. They have an opportunity to explore. Uh, The one thing I like about their instrument program is some students have never held an instrument because they're cutting back on the arts in middle school and elementary school because it's not important. It's enrichment. And it's like that's part of making sure our children are wonderfully well-rounded adults when they get out into the world. Yeah, But, you know, budget cuts or whatever, whatever so we have programs where we go this is a violin hold it or whatever instrument they think they might want to learn how to play we have an amazing fine arts program where we have two teachers who teach them you know drawing and sketching and oils and digital photography we're really working on our digital um, department because that is very important in this day and age and so film and video because everybody wants to have something on YouTube, so I'm teaching them how to do it right. And then they just built this uh, broadcasting studio, which is exciting. Uh, still a little learning how to use it, but <laughs> you know the potential is amazing. So if you want to have a background in communication before you even get to college, you will know the vocabulary. You will know how to use a switcher. You will know, you know what, how to work a television camera. It's great. The opportunities are amazing for these young ladies. And the emphasis is on, uh, I shouldn't say young ladies. Well, we are an all-girls school, but gender fluid, preparing all of our students to be assertive leaders in society because we need all the help we can get.
0: Just there's so much packed in there that's so good the, the thing about the instruments and just it's so sad when you see the arts being cut back and oh, the minimis, minimizing how important it is like that math and science is everything oh. like let's work on compassion and empathy and how to be a decent human and how the arts actually matter so I love that they get that because like you like you said you're empowering them and yeah. not just to be super smart but also like what the arts do it's beautiful does teaching satisfy some of the things that you gave up by being a performer did you have to shift your
1: I don't feel like I gave up there is I believe for me there was a natural cycle Mm -hmm. and my cycle came to an I just I'm not I don't have the endurance I look back and go you stayed up all night doing a show got two hours of sleep got up modeled then went to a ballet class I can't do that You know, I just, I don't have the stamina as we age. Right. (laughs) We just don't have this. And I had a good run. I have no regrets. I had it satisfied whatever that mm, I had in me. I was able to fill all of it. So teaching is a wonderful way of still being in touch with the creative side, but without all the stress and drama and hard work oh, my God, being good takes a lot of work. It's, you know, Mm. and I would hate to get up on a stage and just not do well, you know. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's the point. So knowing what that natural, well, this is the the close of this door and the opening of this window. And so, you know, it's not, oh, my God, I missed the stage. Not at all. This is... compatible with yeah. performing it's a wonderful segue into yet another layer of the arts did you like that i, I thought that's it i loved i that
0: well <laughs> and i'm also thinking when you were talking about sheila and some of those people that were your mentors because being a teacher is more than just giving them information and even just the way you talk about teaching and your heart for your students because Like Sheila, a lot of those probably don't know that they helped you. And the fact that what you're doing is not just to give them tools, but like empowering that it's that mentor thing, not just an educator. Cause when people will look back when they're older, what their time with you in the school, Like I just realized listening to so many interviews, how people were influenced either told like you can't do it so haha I'll show you or someone saw something in you or gave you the tools that you knew that no one else had actually like offered you yeah so I just think that gift of teaching because I've been teaching I've had a studio for 27 years
1: whoa and
0: I think there's people that like you know like if you can't do you teach it's like no like when I've hired teachers teach it's never just because you're good like Teaching is a privilege. And I think I've had to enforce that because I think most of my teachers that have been there for so long still are passionate about teaching. People are like, oh, I'm really good. I can do choreography. They don't last very long. And like the whole thing is like, it is a privilege to teach. It's not a, well, I can't do this anymore. So I might as well teach. Then like, go do something else because you can be damaging if that's your mindset.
1: Well, there are also those who are still active in the business and teach. Yeah. It's understood. I will teach, but I might have to leave because I have a gig over here and there. And I think it's, it, it's a give and take, you know, the teaching um, supplements the doing, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it keeps you uh, in the loop. It keeps you charged. And then you bring something back and go, okay, let me teach you this. I just remember blah di blah, blah. You know, I, I sh- I don't think they should say, well, if you can't succeed in the business, then you teach. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Absolutely. And the business is fickle. Just because you're not successful in the business has nothing to do with the fact that you might not be talented. There are talented people who cannot get a break or what if you don't fit the, whatever the typecast is that they're looking for. You know how many times have you heard well they're looking for short skinny blonde blue-eyed blue blah blah well if you're not short thin blue-eyed blonde does that mean you're less talented no it -hmm. just means circumstances are not working in your favor for whatever this project is so you know you can't you can't do that and it's just happenstance it's just happenstance that i was in the right place where they actually wanted six feet girls
0: Right. How yeah. often
1: does that happen? Yeah. You know? Or I auditioned for Tommy Toon when they were looking for a six foot singer to take Karen Akers um, role for Raffaella, who was six feet and Italian. You know, wow. it's it's just happenstance. And I always just keep think saying I thank the sisters I think Kim Richards because she was the one that got me to to Vegas. I think fluff laco for getting on my case about being you know more on stage i thank all my mentors in reno jillian and sheila god rest her soul and donna howell my dresser who was inspiring and all the dancers who were in the show who shared what they knew and didn't laugh at me because i was an idiot i thank all the people in france oh my god can you imagine going to france pretending that you know how to speak french not understanding a word that's said, <laughs> and then they stick you on TV to do an interview. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so I had to d- depend on people around me who helped me get through that. I wouldn't have made it without these very generous, kind individuals who didn't have to help me yeah. out and made me look good. Like, oh yeah, I'm bilingual. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my god. So. Oh, go ahead. Finish that thought, because you're you're on a roll here. It's good. Well, no, it's just for me. I did not do it alone. I had help every step of the way.
0: You know, I always because we're going to end, and I always am thinking like a question. Like you answered more than I could have asked, because <laughs> what what stands out from the beginning of your interview is your gratitude and acknowledging the people that made a difference. Because I mean, some people could say, I did it my way. I did it all myself, which I think everybody I've interviewed does have this acknowledgement. Like there's a lot of people that made a difference in my life because you know, you can be super talented and be a poop head, you know, that there's, there's something of your gratitude that shines through. That just is so beautiful because it's that acknowledgement that every person makes us a better performer, a better person. And, um, yeah. I just thank you for that. Cause that was really beautiful to hear how important each person is in our journey.
1: Community, You know, if it's community, Yeah,
0: I can't think of a better way to end. Okay. Um, this was a treasure for me. Cause I seriously looked up to you so much. And, um, I'm so glad I think, I think Laura reached out to you because people are like, you got to get Debbie. And I think yes. I sent you a message and not everybody checks Facebook. So when you got back to me, I'm like, yes, this was, yeah. And just this thank you so awesome. much for sharing your story and your heart and your enthusiasm. And your girls are so, your students are so lucky to have you. So, Aww, thank um, you. yeah, your passion for what you do and that you still keep giving to the Aww. arts is wonderful. So I am doing my road trip through Vegas, Reno, and LA. So on my way back, I may reach out and say, hey, do you want to go have a drink and talk about how wonderful we used to be?
1: Alcohol, always. <laughs>
0: Which, <laughs> we'll do a live video while we on our second glass of wine and we'll, we'll tell Uh-oh. stories of backstage. <laughs> okay.
1: This was delightful. This was really a lot of fun and congratulations to you for doing this because hopefully this will last the tests of time and this will be a resource for our younger performers to hear because what we live through I don't think that's going to ever exist again. Yeah. Different. It has
0: been the highlight of COVID. Like I started this at the beginning and I look forward to every interview and it's helping me to um, remember things I forgot. Like somebody tells a story, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it just makes me appreciate even more what we had. And yeah. so it's been a delight to do that. And thank you for the wonderful people that I get to interview and that I got to work with and reconnect.
1: Awesome. Well, Mwah. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much, Debbie. Anytime. Take care. Bye, baby. Bye. Bye.